0: you boys what a game welcome to episode 57 of the mlhs podcast i'm nick ashburn joined as always by anthony petrielli today we are coming to you after a couple games since we last spoke and and the first one we had a loss against the new york islanders it felt Awfully familiar to some uh, Maple Leafs defeats in recent weeks, with the kind of heartbreaker goal at the end there, and then of course on Wednesday night a, wi- a qual I don't know a quality win over the Dallas Stars a win over a quality team in the Dallas Stars. Today we're going to talk a little bit about where the Leafs sit in the division and their race for the playoffs. That's where our focus is going to be, but Anthony, I think it's worth touching base on the games that have happened what are your takeaways from the Islanders and stars games? So I want to start with a few good things uh,
1: in particular, Matthew Nice, who I've, I've definitely been hard on, uh, not in terms of what I think that he projects to be, but essentially in terms of what he is now versus what the team needs him to be, which is also partly not his fault, but I do think since they've come back from the break, he's been really good. I thought he was excellent against the Islanders. I thought he was really good again against Dallas. He made a really nice subtle play on the Marner game winner where when Marner got the puck, he was engaged with Heiskanen in front and he kind of tied him up. It didn't really get much attention, but he actually tied him up and didn't allow Heiskanen to slide over, which then allowed Marner to just walk in untouched and bury. Uh, There was a play later on in that game where the Leafs had the two goal lead at that point. And he was coming down by himself on the rush. He was going up against Yanni Hockenpah, who's just a massive dude. And Dallas had some back checkers. So he, he was outnumbered and he knew it. And because he was the only guy, you know, you see a lot of young players try to take a guy on or make a play. And he just dumped it into the corner. It's like the most subtle, small thing, but instead of risking a very quick transition play while the rest of the Leafs were on a line change, he just, put it below the goal line and, you know, had like a light four check leading to a change, but an overall safe series of events given the score of the game and, and managing the situation. So it's been really nice to kind of see him come back from the break, refreshed and ready to go. And just, he's giving them a little bit, something extra right now. So I'm really encouraged it. You know, his best game of the season was probably off the healthy scratch against Pittsburgh, right? Where he came in and he had the the Gordie Howe hat trick. Similar to Robertson, they've both kind of shown when they've had opportunities to reset. They've come in guns a blazing. I, you know, I think there's something good there. I think they need to, you know, get them both to a consistent level. But again, this is what happens when you have young guys in the lineups. They have highs and they have lows.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you point out the, the subtle plays there because you could look at the score sheet and say, listen, since they've come back from the break, it's only been the core four guys who've done it. And the depth scoring has been a concern all season long. And it, it's it remains a concern. And so it's it, in a sense, it's more of the same but it's also good to point out some of those other contributions like we've been doing with Bertuzzi all year, to be honest, as an example, as a guy who like, you know, the production isn't there, but we keep pointing to like, you know, here's the forecheck. Here's the sustaining the pressure. I mean, he had a, you know, he had a chance there and his run of being unable to bury chances is just, uh, it's getting out of hand at this point.
1: He does have to score. I mean, like I'll talk about the good things he's doing till I'm blue in the face and I recognize them. And I think he's, Again, I think that's the best second line we've seen the Leafs have in the last five years. I'll stand by that. But at some point, you know, you do have to bear down. He missed the wide open cross ice pass slash empty net against the Islanders. He had acres of time, like way more NHL time than you should ever have in front of the net against Scott Wedgwood. I mean, you gotta you got to finish at some point, you know. Yeah, it
0: was a wild one. That's where we're at. Like that, that one was really tough. Like it again, everything you know. In theory, that's the sort of thing that can happen to any player, but like because of the context we've seen over the last weeks and months, like it really is sort of yeah, it's indicative of the you know the dark side, the poor side of Bertuzzi season. The other thing, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I have a few other things I want to flag from the games, but if you have something, go for it. Well, I was gonna say like. Again, you think of the type of narratives that could emerge from these games. Like you might say, oh, the power play's back. Like after all this time of them, you know, having difficulty scoring with the man advantage, here's a game where the power play won them the game. And for me, I think it's a little bit just how variable hockey is on, on a game to game basically Like if you kind of zoom in on the goals they actually scored on the power play none of them made me feel like, oh, okay, this unit has sorted its shit out. You know what I mean? Like Matthews, is that goal is a weird deflection. Nylander is a, is a long shot that you can kind of, you can get that shot on basically any power play. You know, the Tavares tip, you know, that's, again, that's it's important for him and for building confidence and for Tavares to be productive. And that is a weapon that they have. But it, none of it has made me th- think, okay, this group has... And on the Matthews goal, to be fair, like he deserves a lot of credit for the work that went into him getting in a position to shoot that puck. But it's interesting because that's been such a driver in these last two games, and yet at the same time, I haven't been thinking, oh, wow, they have totally freshened this up, and they've made a different thing, and uh, I now have much more confidence. Now, I never lost confidence. Like, I think th- we all know the personnel is there, that they they should have a good power play kind of no matter what. So you probably shouldn't have been panicking about the dry spell they went through. But at the same time, I'm not getting over my skis for what they've done in the last couple of games.
1: So I'd actually fight you on that. Um, okay. The two main reasons why is, one, I think their entries have been a lot better. And that is a big thing. Like wh- when they were struggling, they were legitimately not entering the zone properly. I thought their entries were really, really crisp in both games. Thought they were gaining the zone easily. I thought they were setting up nicely. And from there, whenever they're set up, often when they don't score, it's just because they try to get cute. Like, th- like that's what it is. Like you don't have to, you don't have to sit here with, with X and O's and have some massive breakdown. It's because they start doing stupid things with the puck. It's like almost like a fight for the puck. But when they keep things simple, you know, the the Nylander goal is an example. Like, do you always want that shot? No, of course not.
0: Well, and I, but he's been up high a lot on the power play. And you kind of worry about, like, we talked a few weeks ago about him kind of falling in love with that short side shot. Like, him feeling like he should be bombing those shots all the time. Like, I don't, I almost don't want to see him get rewarded for that because it's, it might make him have the opinion that that's a great shot to take all the time. And it you know, it's not a bad shot because you got a guy in front of the net and whatnot. But like, again, as I pointed out, like that's not a goal that makes me think, okay, this is a, this is a good um, kind of repair on the power play, but sorry, keep going.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say it to me, like there's a difference between the things that he was floating to the net off his back foot when like he was basically touching the blue line and Nylander stepping into a one-timer, and letting a bomb go basically at the top of the circle with traffic in front. I'll, you know, if teams want to give him that shot, I'll take that shot from him with their, when there's traffic in front. I think more often than not, it's going to end up like the Leafs are going to like the result of that. I'm not saying he's going to score every time, but I think if teams are going to actually, you know, that's almost disrespectful to give him that level of a shot with traffic in front. And, you know, the Matthews goal. Yes. bat you know, lucky bounce, what I like though, is the doggedness to get the puck back. That's often where they frustrate me. I watch and say, like, why is no one why are there no bodies on pucks? Like how like Matthews could have easily not skated to that puck. Yuck, like and Paw had acres of time in the NHL. To just go to the puck and shoot it out, I still can't believe he didn't. Like I'm still thinking. Yeah, about it. it it was a pretty bizarre. Yeah, like,
0: like from start to finish, that's a bizarre play. Like it, the fact yeah. that the puck didn't get out and he was able to get back and then the deflection. Like it, it's like, not. What the was sort he? Of it should what happen.
1: was he thinking? Like we all focus on the Leafs so much. Like I think sometimes we forget what it's like to be on the other side. Like there's maybe two guys in the league, maybe one that are better at pickpocketing guys than Matthews, and that's you know the only one I'd say for sure. And not even for sure, but, you know, I'd confidently put up in his categories is Mark Stone. But other than yeah. that, like, you can't be casual with the puck around Austin Matthews. Are you insane? Like, you could see Matthews kind of think about it, like, do I have a chance at this? And then he went for it anyway. And he was like, oh, my God, he's actually trying to make a play on me. And it was over. it. Like, the second he touched the puck instead of just instantly shooting it down, I was like, all right, I think, I think this is going to be a turnover. So... You know, that like those effort things just simplifying things a little bit better, I do think those are positives. It just it just looked to me like, you know, time to stop messing around, which is why they're frustrating because you watch them sometimes and go, these guys are these guys are screwing around. But that that was not that. You know, the, the Tavares goal, same thing. They should be they have success with that play. That actually is a good play to me. Riley with time, putting one in Tavares' wheelhouse to tip, like that's That's as easy as anything for him. Like that, if, if, I mean, that is one of their better weapons.
0: Yeah. Like Tavares tipping the puck is one of the better weapons that the Leafs have. And like that is a weird thing to say when you think of kind of all the skill on the team. And it's not to say that deflecting the puck doesn't require skill. Tavares is very, very good at it. But like it is one of the better weapons they have. And we just haven't seen as much of it this year as I guess you'd like to see. But before we kind of get too far down that road, We've talked uh, offline for the last couple of weeks about doing an episode focusing on the division and where they sit. Can I just flag one other thing? I just want to flag one other thing. Actually, two other things. I'll, and, I'll indulge me. you. I'll, I'll indulge you. Go for okay. it. Okay.
1: One, one, and this is a quick one. I just, it, it's really hard to evaluate Pontus Holmberg at center when he's centering, who's centering, Bobby McMahon and Ryan Reeves. But I, you know, and and he struggled on against the Islanders, but I thought he was notably more comfortable and better against Dallas. And I'm not saying he should be a center the rest of the way, but I think that's an interesting development for long-term prospects here. I really like what Holmberg's just bringing in general. He looks like part of the solution to me. And what capacity, I'm not entirely sure. He's looked good on the wing. He's kind of moved up and down the lineup and played in various roles. Now he's playing center. Again, different kind of role but he kind of finds ways to contribute. So yeah, I think
0: that's fair. I mean, he he definitely was better against Dallas than he was against the Islanders. I don't love the idea of him at center over the longer term, but it's also just good to know that it's an option and it's an option that's not going to kill you. Yeah, so, you know, I think that's a just a,
1: a no really development for a team that's kind of lacked depth and has been like trying to scrounge lines together, having like The third line to me is, as actually, I mean, they only had him for one game against the Jets, but they've been notably worse with Noah Gregor there compared to Pontius Holmberg.
0: Yeah. I mean, Noah Gregor's quality, not that it started at some incredible level, but it has fallen off steadily and him getting this shot to play with Domi and Robertson has really kind of hammered home how little he's doing for them. To be honest, I was going to say offensively, but I think I can just leave it in, in any capacity. Yeah. And the only other thing
1: that I'll, I'll say, and I know Alec wrote about it this week and it was really like we had him and I had spoken about it so much. Cause uh, like both of us were kind of bringing it to the table as a topic when, when that game happened. And and he of course transcribes all of the Sheldon quotes. He's like an encyclopedia of, of things that Sheldon says over the years. And that, that one, you know, he flagged, he's really good about flagging things that are, are interesting or insightful or anything of that nature. And he flagged that one. And we were both just like, like you make the lines. So, and, and the quote being that, you know, he was talking about how Barzell was kind of having his way with, with the three lines, which then forced him to hard match Matthews against him. Er Ergo Matthews ended up playing almost 25 minutes on the night. You know, Marner was 24 and, you know, a bunch of guys just didn't play like, like Robertson didn't even play nine minutes in the, in the game. And again, you just kind of go back to it and go, Like, where's some imagination here and where's some some flexibility like why are you so locked into your lines at times Like, like you're like you can tell me like you can't tell me that Matthews could play with guys like Pontus Holmberg and Noah Gregor for one night and lock things down against Matt Barzell we're not talking Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and I really like Matt Barzell I think he's really good I have him on team Canada for me I think he's an excellent player but he's still Matt Barzell and this is still Austin Matthews and you're still at home with last change. And this idea that's like, Oh, like the other lines that I put together that made no sense to ever play against him. So you have the Tavares line, which we know you're not going to put Tavares up against, um, you know, Matt Barzell for skating alone. And then you have the max Domi line with Nick Robertson and Noah Gregor. I don't think anyone's going to play that line. And then you have, Bobby McMahon with Pontus Holmberg and Ryan Reeves, who they did try to slip on for a few shifts against them in the first period. And it was terrible as expected. It's like, what did you think was going to happen with those lines? Like you could have easily just looked at Matthews and said, and this is, I think, where I get frustrated because this is where it feels like it's all about these guys and their cookies and them eating is like, well, we can't split them up. It's like, well, you can. And you could have just told Matthews to eat it for a night. Like, you're probably not going to score or do much of five on five, but, like, you're not going to get scored on. And Marner's going to go down. He's going to play with Max Domi on some scoring third line. And they're just going to completely tilt the Islanders' third unit or the fourth unit or whoever. And, like, that, you know, you can win a game. Like, you can manufacture a win. But it's just, it's always, like, it always just comes back. It's like, well, I guess the top guys have to play more. And that's just really the solution. And then people talk about them having secondary scoring issues. Like Nick Robertson has scored just fine. He's barely
0: playing Max. Don't on, yeah, on a, on a permanent basis. Those guys are extremely efficient in terms yeah. of their production. I think that the fact that David camp is around obviously affects, I'm not saying that camp is has been as good at shutting people down as he has been in the past, but like he is the person that Keith has as the security blanket where it's like, I don't need to throw Matthews out every single time because I feel good about camp in the defensive zone. And then once he's gone, yeah, you're looking at your other three lines and they don't feel good about any of them defensively, which is not necessarily a good place to be because there is, as much as he's spamming that number one line, there is actually only so much you can use one group of forwards. Like Realistically, three out of four of them are going to take up the majority of the game. Like No matter how much you tilt ice time in one direction or the other, that's the reality. Yeah. And
1: ultimately, I think if you look back at a lot of the top teams over the years and, you know, especially the teams that won multiple times and I'm really, really looking at, you know, the Anzi Kopitar led LA Kings and the Jonathan Taves led Chicago Blackhawks, who I would put more in line with um, like those guys at center as your top center, meaning like two way forces more so than I'd probably put the Tampa team because that Tampa team was a little bit different. Um, you know, those guys did have a ton of games where they would just say, like, you know, Kopitar or Taves, like, you're just going to lock it down and you're going to set everybody else up to eat. And if you, you know, if you get yours on the power play, like great, but by and large your job, you know, I watched that Vegas Edmonton game this week and Mark Stone had zero interest in scoring a goal. He basically was out there going like Connor McDavid's not doing it to us tonight. If they beat us otherwise, you know, if, if Ryan McLeod has two goals. <laughs> Then Ryan McLeod has two goals, but it's not Connor. You know, every time he touched the puck, there were five guys back. There were guys on his back. There were guys in front of his face. And, you know, they were just dialed in defensively. It's like, we're going to grind these guys down. We're going to pick and choose our spots offensively, you know, put pucks to the net and crash when we can, which is how they scored their first goal. And, you know, there are other ways to play the game. And, when I look at the Islanders game. I just it was just a frustrating one for me. It's like the you shouldn't have lost this game. And you know, you could argue that they could have scored a ton. You know, Islanders goalie was incredible. All these things. I just there's other ways to go about it. I just would like to see a little bit more flexibility and openness to that, as opposed to well, Barzell was good, so what could we do? Had to play my guys. I, I feel
0: you. I get that, but I just think like between the combination of like you could, you can chalk it up to a couple of things. One, I think you're correctly chalking some of that up to Keith and just like the way he wants to deploy his players, the way he wants to manage a game. There's also, you know, the Matthew side in terms of his willingness. We don't really know that. That's kind of behind closed doors. Like if Keith believes I don't it. do care about the Matthew- I hear this argument all the time. Like, be a coach, be a leader.
1: Be like your job is to be a leader, is not to build friendships. Like, you, like the famous line: If you want friends, don't be a coach. That is not a job for friendships that is a job for tough decisions you can look at i'm not saying do it every night but given their lineup you know makeup at the moment you can look at matthews for a night and say like you're gonna you're gonna dig in and he's capable everyone always tells us matthews one of the best two-way centers in the league maybe the best okay then be it for a night like why is that a big ask
0: he's still gonna play on the power play i don't know i mean i think it's it's fair it's understandable I I just have a hard time envisioning the world that you describe. And again, like you do too. That's why you're frustrated. But it's just like whatever angle you want to look at it, I just that game, your fantasy game where Matthews is playing that type of role that we have not really seen. I don't know when that game happens. And like you could like like you've argued, you could argue that it should happen, but I just have a hard time envisioning a world where it does. Against Dallas, it made no sense. Like, as as Keith noted before the game,
1: he said, like, that's a four-line team. Like, they're going to roll it a lot more than the Islanders did. The Islanders are, I mean, they're not quite a one-line team, but they're, you know, they're there's only a few guys on that team that are going to beat you. And I thought Barzell was lights out in that game. And, you know, and the Leafs depth guys did nothing. And I think everyone's sitting here talking about secondary scoring. And I'm sitting here talking about, well, why is the secondary scoring not performing well because you know max domi he led dallas in five on five points in the playoffs last year and was playing 15 a night and you're telling me that he can't play more than 12 10 and change which is usually what he's getting on a nightly basis on this leafs team not even a full calendar year, like a full 12 months later i don't know i find it hard to believe i just it it seems a lot like chicken and egg to me where it's like, oh well, are these guys not producing because, like, they're not good, or are they not producing because they're not playing, and are they, you
0: know? I yeah, you I know. mean, I, trust is is a huge issue, and I, yeah, you know, I'm, I think that any like we focus on the least right, any fan base around the league has. Some component of here's a player that I would like to see play more, here's a player I'd like to see play less. Like I think everybody has quibbles with their individual coaches. So I don't want to present it like Sheldon Keith is like this unique figure who doesn't deploy the players the way you'd like to see them deployed. But there's certainly a component with him where it seems, I don't know if stubbornness is necessarily the right way to put it, but he has a very set idea of how he wants to handle certain situations, certain players. And I think he kind of rules some certain things out hard. And I'm not saying like, I want to see Max Domi in the defensive zone against the other team's best players, but it seems like sometimes he has these like hard and fast rules that he lives by. And a certain point you do have to give some, you have to get into some weird situations and you have to give some people some, you know, some opportunities. Maybe you wouldn't, normally expect and kind of see what happens like that's the thing with this Leafs team because of their top end talent they have this floor they're not really at risk to miss the playoffs uh it it could theoretically happen but it's probably not going to and so when you have that floor you have the opportunity to be more experimental the opportunity to try stuff that might not seem optimal but you don't know for sure you know i get it's weird for me to like go and bang this individual drum but it's like Let's see more of Connor Timmons because like, why not see more of Connor Timmons and less of guys? We know what exactly what they are and what they look like. I'm again, he's not an individual solution. It's just an example. Like you no, I'd rather you, see him than Mark Giordano at this. Right. Yeah, he, exactly. Yeah. We, you know exactly what Mark Giordano can give you. And you know what? Resting him more probably increases the chances that he gives you the good version of what that is. And it seems like a lot of the time it's like, yeah, it's like and Keefe has this guidebook and he's, he's reading the manual and he's executing it. And sometimes you got to throw out the Ikea manual and, uh, and just give it a shot and go with your gut and see what happens. And, you know, it's not the most scientific, but I think that you, you can stumble across some interesting things and Keefe doesn't put himself in a position to stumble across solutions.
1: All right. now now we can Yeah, like, now we, I yeah, I think that was that. supposed to yeah. be
0: like uh, you know, a, a very brief convo off the top, but as uh per usual, there are twists and turns. So you want to look at that Atlantic division that the leafs are in, the guys above them, below them, kind of where they sit, and that discussion, and the reality is that it's not really a division that they're competing for at this point like in theory the Bruins and Panthers could both fall off to a massive degree and the Leafs could go on a heater but that's a very unlikely scenario I was looking at the money puck odds and that's not gospel by any means but I think they put the division at something like 4.8 percent like under five percent chance the Leafs are winning the division so when we talk about the Boston Bruins we're kind of talking about a scenario where the Bruins fall into the two, three and they become a, a playoff matchup for the least. And this is a team that's, you know, 31, 10 and nine plus 42 goal differential. It all sounds really good. And then the flip side of that is you look at sort of the possession territorial numbers. Like I looked at, uh, you know, five on five expected goals. They're actually just under 50%. Like it's very much a team. That's the power plays. Great penalty killings. Great. Goaltending is great. And that's good enough for the team to be great, but there is room for a little bit of skepticism in terms of how successful they've been compared to what's on this roster.
1: Yeah, Boston is a is a tricky one for me. Like I almost look at them as a really good regular season team as currently constructed, and they check really hard. You know, you mentioned goaltending; they also just they're really committed defensively, which I think on the ebbs and flows of the regular season, eighty-two game schedule. Having a team that committed defensively with that good goaltending and then just a lights out power play, it it sets you up to win quite a bit over, you know, the grind of the season. In the playoffs, though, I'm not entirely sure. You know, I just I can't I can't look at and I know Charlie Coyle has been really good and I really like him, but I just can't look at Charlie Coyle, Pavel Zaka, Morgan Geeky down the middle and say. That's a contender. Like I just I can't get I can't wrap my head around that. If the Leafs are running that at center, I think people would be losing their mind. Um, you know, not that that's not that that's necessarily the barometer, but I think you know just some perspective in the sense that that's just it's not a up to snuff center group. You know, they were they wanted Elias Lindholm. They're you know if he hits the open market, they're going to want him again. I think with good for good reason. He's defenses. a great fit
0: for what they do, like in terms of that being a defensively responsible team. Like he's a great two-way center for, like, yeah. He totally fits like a glove for them. I would have been very concerned if they acquired
1: him and then bumped Coil. Like it would have made sense their lineup then. Like you could, you know, Coil would be fine as like a second line center, or those two platooning each other and Zaka and the three hole. Like suddenly it starts to make a lot more sense. I just, yeah, I like that I will say the goaltending has surprised me a little bit. I did think the goaltending last year was just like the product of the environment. And I do still think that to some degree, but you know, two years of being elite, that there's something to it. And that, like, you know, they're, they're annoying to me more than I think that they're like the best team in the East or anything along those lines.
0: Yeah. I, I don't, When I think of sort of inner circle Stanley cup contenders, they are not who I think of, which is kind of odd again, in the context of them having this incredible record, but you know, if the Leafs were to come up against them in the first round of the playoffs, As you know, obviously the history of Boston with Boston and the Leafs in recent years, it's weird to say like that's a matchup that would I think would be a positive outcome for the Leafs. I'm not necessarily saying like oh I would pick the Leafs. I think they're going to crush Boston, but I think you know say it right now. Step up, I want Boston. (laughs) Say it. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I want Boston the way the Leafs (laughs) wanted Florida last year. Uh, (laughs) We saw how that worked out. No, I I would I would want Boston instead of Florida. So Florida, Florida is a scary team like Florida is the team in the entire Eastern Conference that scares you the most. They're deep. They're they've gotten healthy. Like they start off with a blue line with some serious injuries, like they're physically nasty. Bobrovsky's been sort of solid, like as opposed to being the question mark in the regular season and the world beater in the playoffs, like he's found the middle path there where he's like good. Uh, you know, both special teams are good. They're one of the best possession teams in the NHL, like 55 percent, 0.41 percent expected goals at five on five. They've got two more games against Toronto that are both really late in the season. And in theory, those could determine a two, three seeding. We don't know for sure. Like the Leafs would have to win their ne- the game they have in hand with Florida just to be four points behind. So there'd be some serious there's a pretty serious gap there and I just think Florida's a really good team. So it, it would be hard for me to predict that is going to happen, but it's something to keep an eye out for. Like if the Leafs were to get hot in the next few weeks and Florida, flattened out for whatever reason, we might see a scenario where they have some very meaningful games with the Panthers, uh, at the end of the year.
1: So I do think, I do think the Panthers are the class of the East, you know, you kind of touched on it at a high level. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're rounded out at every, at every nook and corner. And, you know, at the high level, Barkoff is incredible. You know, he's, he's got to be one of the toughest players to go up against in a seven game series. At this point, we kind of saw how he handled Matthews last year. He's been, ex, you know, arguably been leading the best line in the league this year. And he's the driver of that. They have a really Good and deep defense, which I think, I think sometimes we lose that, you know. Um, and I tried to like make this argument before. We talk about how the Leafs load up Matthews and Marner compared to, you know, like Colorado with McKinnon and McDavid and Drysaddle. Like one, like McDavid is just in a class of his own. So like you can't compare other guys to him, even though the Leafs deploy guys similar to him. And, but you look at Colorado, you look at Florida, what those teams have is high end D pairings to match with their forwards. And the Leafs have Morgan Riley, who's really good. And he's playing with TJ Brody, who's really not. And that hurts things further. That makes things a lot more difficult for them because, you know, you're kind of putting Matthews behind the eight ball. Like, I think if you put Matthews with, Devin Taves and Kale McCarr, he would be significantly more successful than he currently is. And that's just not a viable solution for the Leafs. So, you know, going up against that five man unit, I think is, is really a big problem for them. And so when we kind of put all of that together and you got Florida, I think they're probably the biggest problem in the East across the board what I'm interested to do, to see is what they do at the deadline because obviously they didn't do anything last year, and everyone's kind of pointed to that. I've always kind of flagged they did get Anthony Duclair back, which I don't think was nothing. You know, he was largely playing on their top line in the playoffs, and he was productive in that spot. So we'll see if they add anything at all. They do have a little cap space. I'm not entirely clear as to where I would add were I to be Florida. And, you know, I'm somewhat weary of what happened with Florida at the deadline a few years ago where they added Claude Giroux, they added Ben Sherratt, and it kind of threw off their mojo a little bit as a team. So I'm I'm very curious how Florida kind of approaches this deadline, because you could you could argue again, like we are, that they're the class of the East. But at the same time, you could argue that, you know, maybe they just don't do anything at all and they just run this team into the playoffs and and see how things go and i don't know in most cases i would say if you're this close you should be buying i'm just not entirely sure what they should be buying they don't have a first or second this year they don't have a first next year like i would be inclined to just leave it and say this is what we are we're really good we're comfortable with who we are
0: yeah i mean they don't have obvious holes they have proof of concept of this team succeeding in the playoffs like it's not one of those situations where like oh we like our core we got to get that i mean i'm not saying that this is the right way to run a team but sometimes people are like oh we like our core but we haven't really broken through we got to get that gritty you know the leafs nick folino type situation like they don't need that cuz they you know they made that run last year so yeah if, if i'm the gm in florida i'm not i'm not moving at all like in in the sense the the panthers are such a known quantity as constructed that when we talk of the Atlantic, like they are a, a very likely playoff matchup for the Maple Leafs, but in some ways they're not as intriguing as the other teams because I think we're just confident they're going to kind of keep rolling, and they, if they make moves, I bet those moves are probably going to be subtle. And so it's like the Panthers are very scary. They're very dangerous, And but they sort of are what they are, whereas if you kind of go down to the next team – and look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, that's a team where I feel less confident that I am firm on my read with that team because part of me wants to say, look at the top of the roster. Again, there's proof of concept for this team. They haven't really even had Vasilevsky perform at a high level at this point. Like They're not so far behind the Leafs. League best power play, Kutrov is going off. And I think a lot of people, because the Leafs had uh, had those games in hand, kind of assumed like, oh, the Lightning are sort of done and the Leafs are kind of firmly in third and they're firmly ahead of them. And that, I don't think that's a fair assumption to make.
1: Yeah, so... The Sergeyev
0: I, injury is bad, obviously,
1: uh, last night. but bad. And that's where I was going to go with it because, I mean, they also got Cernak back for the first time yeah. in, in a while and and Sergeyev. So to me, they were starting to to load up and and get ready to go again. That is a team that can I think turn it on in a dime. I thought I thought they largely outplayed the Leafs last year. Like I don't I mean oh, I don't even think it. I think it's just a fact that like, they yeah, largely outplayed. I don't think that's a
0: controversial take at all. No.
1: Yeah, and I I think some of the commentary on their demise is way overblown. I don't think there's five players in the league better than Kucherov right now. Like he's just he's insane he you know he has every trick in his bag he like it's it's almost like my but if you only watch
0: the all-star skills competition you would be (laughs) of the opinion that this guy's absolute trash
1: I I thought that was unacceptable what he did but that's a different story (laughs) I just there's there's so many kids there man it's a kid event like if you're not gonna if you're just gonna if you're just gonna do that then just don't participate and I know you get fined and all that but you don't have to do the skills comp not everyone there did the skills comp Like you could have just said, I'm not doing it. And if you're a certain level of
0: superstar, you have some level of responsibility to kind of grow and promote the game. Like as much as that might feel annoying to you, because it's like, that's not, doesn't feel like your job. The reality is if you're that level of superstar, it kind of is your job to some extent. And you got to, you know, take the minor hit and just, yeah, give a little bit more. If you're going to be there, then be there, man. There's kids in there's kids there.
1: You're there to promote it. Like you said, I just, that, that was, like, it was funny. Don't get me wrong. It was funny, but it was embarrassing. Anyways, he's, he's excellent when he wants to be, uh, and he wants to be this year. You know, Braden Point is incredible. I would never doubt Andre Vasilevsky, even though, you know, I know that their goaltending hasn't been that great this year. He's been hurt. I know he wasn't great in the playoffs against the Leafs. Like, I'm aware of all these things. I'm just saying, you know, he is one of those that, Doubt him at your own peril, because he could easily, easily win a team a couple rounds, I think, right this second, if he's dialed in. You know, I still think Hedman is good. Getting Cernak back is big. You know, they do need to acquire a defenseman of some sort. In terms of the standings, though, I I do look at them and say they're still behind the Leafs. They just um they just went on a streak that they won eight out of nine. They just lost to the to the Rangers. So, you know, we'll see what happens if if that, you know, if that kind of levels them out, I just, I'm always cautious of teams that have just kind of gone on essentially a heater to prop themselves up in the standings and juice them, juice their numbers up. Whereas I look at a team like the Leafs and say, they've kind of just been middling, you know, they've just been kind of going about their business. They win some, they lose some and, and they're, you know, they're keeping their head above water. But at some point I have to imagine the Leafs go on, a, on a something, you know, like the Leafs are one, like, win seven out of 10 streak away from separating themselves from everybody except Florida and and Boston.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing with the standings and the lightning is that in a world where the lightning do significantly better or the Leafs kind of take the foot off the gas, whatever happens where the lightning overtake the Leafs it's probably not that bad a scenario for Toronto, to be honest, because a matchup with Florida is nasty. A matchup with Boston, while preferable, is not like a walk in the park by any means. And going over as a wild card would not be the worst thing for the main. Yeah, you so, want the
1: metro. You want the metro.
0: So like, yeah, exactly. So if this happened where the lightning crept up on them and kind of snuck ahead, I don't think that's a big issue. I mean, I think the 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 doomsday scenario is your next team, is if the Detroit Red Wings and the lightning simultaneously do that. Again, this is a very narrow path that is yeah. unlikely to happen. Even like,
1: even then if you look at the teams in the metro, like they're just not good enough. Like the Leafs are already but like, the Leafs would be borderline challenging for that division.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, especially if the Leafs were playing yeah. up to like, sort of the level of performance you'd expect.
1: Like Philly Philly is on the downturn and exploring selling uh, Pittsburgh has just been kind of middling in the standings and the Leafs are notably ahead of them uh, you know, like the Islanders again same kind of thing even though they've swept the Leafs this year uh, so I mean you know,
0: Carolina is still Carolina to an extent like they're, the results yeah. aren't quite there but they still play like Carolina and they could figure things out on the goaltending end and, and kind of solidify themselves potentially but outside of them mainly yeah. in the sense though that like the Leafs falling out of both wild
1: cards like I just don't see that Like some, it'd have to be crazy. Like it'd have to be injuries. It'd have to be, but then all that to bring it back to Tampa is like they need to add. I think as currently constructed, they're still like they're missing some quality. I think they know that. I think they're kind of balancing. We've sold a ton lately, and or like we've bought a ton. Sorry, we've sold off a ton of assets. And so how much more can we realistically afford to sell off, which I think people think that them and the Leafs are in the same boat. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think the Leafs are in a wildly different boat. I think the Leafs do have some top quality prospects. They do have a little bit more wiggle room to play with. And they also don't have the winning resume to look at, you know, the way Tampa did to be like, well, we took our shots and we won. And ergo, it is what, you know, and our guys are a little bit older. The Leafs guys are younger at least haven't won.
0: Like I, 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 I do think that it's interesting with the new GM angle because you could make a case either way. You could make a case it's like I'm a new GM. I want to put my imprint on this team, and one of the ways I can do that is by making this big midseason acquisition. And you could also say I'm a new GM. My job is secure. I don't have to do anything risky. I can kind of call this an evaluation season. And as a result, I don't need to push the chips in. And we just don't know which way for is going to play that. Now, in terms of what he said in public, it has seemed like the cautious path is the one that he prefers. But there's also plenty of time between now and the deadline for that dynamic to potentially change. And also, you know, if I was a GM, I wouldn't necessarily be super honest in my public statements in terms of where I was at, because that doesn't. Serve me in any way, shape, or form to be like, oh, I, let me tell you exactly what's on my mind. So I I don't put too much stock. I, for me, I think what True Living has done is sort of managed expectations such that if the Leafs don't do very much and if they are cautious, then the fan base won't be like, my God, what happened? You know, like we thought you guys were going to go in and, you know, push for this team. Anyway, I think, you know, a lot of fans are more sophisticated than that, but it's always from a PR perspective wise to manage expectations. And I think that's what Trilling's done on that count.
1: Yeah. So we'll get into deadline stuff on, on later episodes and I should have something hopefully tomorrow about essentially who I would be targeting. I just ultimately, I think the lease would be crazy not to buy. I just think that they need to buy with term or if they're buying someone who's a pending free agent, they need to come to terms with an agreement. I mean, I have, I love Ryan O'Reilly. Like, I thought he was, I I thought he was one of the only reasons they beat Tampa. Like, he, he came up with some really big moments in that series. And if they re signed him to the contract that he ended up getting in Nashville, I think the Leafs would be significantly better today.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, when you think about the Leafs with like this version of Matthews. And the team they had last year, like you're really onto something like that's yeah. absolutely cooking. And O'Reilly a big part yeah. of that.
1: Yeah. And I think a big I think a big issue with some of the buying that's happened over the past few years is they've simply not retained guys like, you know, that's that's really where it's at. Even even Nick Foligno, who I know, you know, he's happy he has 10 goals this year, which would rank fifth on Leafs forward tied with Cali Yarncroft. <laughs> Like, he could palatably play beside Matthews and Marner, which I thought he did look good until he got hurt. And it's not to say, you know, like, he, I thought Boston paid him more money than I would have, I would have given him. But it's to say, like, he could have been a player that you could have kept in the mix and he could have contributed in some capacity. He does a little bit of everything. Like, they just, they constantly acquired guys who then left. And... That to me is as big a problem as anything. It's not that they uh, you know, took shots on acquiring guys that they then left for free. And so if I'm if I'm tree living, I'm just I'm avoiding three month rentals, but I'm not avoiding an opportunity to add quality to my lineup for this season and beyond because this team needs quality. They lack it. They lack the depth of quality, I should say. So. If you have opportunities to do that, and especially on defense, if you have opportunities to bring in quality top four defensemen for a team that lacks top four defensemen, like we look at the end of that Islanders game, it was like, Timothy Lilligren couldn't execute a D-to-D pass behind his goal line. Turnover, Islanders almost score right after the Leafs tied it up. And then the next shift, TJ Brody and Morgan Riley couldn't execute a D-to-D pass behind the goal line. Morgan Riley waxed it on his backhand up for a turnover. Islanders score the game-winning goal. It's like, these are simple self-inflicted wounds from a defense that is just not good enough. If you have an opportunity to add a top four defenseman, honestly, other than Easton Cowan, pretty much anything would be on the table for me.
0: Yeah, I think as you said, it really you would want it to be a term thing for sure. Like I, and also some of the the you know the kind of rent to buy situations, like Tanev, for instance, is obviously one you're going to hear a ton about in the weeks to come. Like given his. You know, his age, to be honest, you know, I know some of his injuries are a little bit deeper in the past, like he's an investment that kind of scares me. So like the idea of renting to buy with a guy like that, uh, I don't know, like he he's a player I'm very conflicted on because I know how smoothly he would fit and I know how much he brings the things they need. Um, but then again, you, if it's pure rental, that's kind of problematic. And he's also someone that over a longer term is problematic in his own way. But I like, we're going to hear that countless times. So we're every, if you're a Leafs fan, you're going to have a good month here to figure out exactly how you feel about Chris Tanev and what you'd be willing to give up for him. In the meantime, we'll go back to the division, which is Detroit. And
1: you kind of reference them, uh, you know, in terms of if Tampa and Detroit got hot, and the problems that might cause the Leafs. And really, I-, I can go first on Detroit. I I think that they've just been wildly hot. I don't think that they are particularly good. Their five on five, you know, like Corsi, like shot share is oh, under forty six percent. Like real it's real bad. Yeah. It's terrible. They have the fourth highest shooting percentage in the league at five on five. I think. You know, they've been shooting the lights out. Their power play was insanely hot to start the year, which really propped them up. I, you know, I I just I can't I struggle to take them seriously. That's not to say that they don't ride it and make the playoffs, but I struggle to take them seriously as just a as a just a general opponent. You know, they beat the Leafs in that that snowstorm game, you want to call it, and they celebrated like they won the cup, or at you know, at minimum they beat Tampa in game six of overtime to win the first round of the series. And I, I didn't even think they were good that night. I thought the Leafs just I thought the Leafs pissed the game away more than Detroit did anything in particular to win the game. Good for them for winning. But I just thought I mean, I Leafs... get
0: why they're psyched about it. Like the, the context, uh, you know, they've been through a harrowing journey. It was like a team building experience. That is an easier
1: thing to get up to get up for. Like we talk about an 82 game season. It's actually easier to kind of dig in on a a situation like that in, you know, the course of just a random 82, you know, middle. Yeah. But you
0: physically might feel like absolute shit too. Like, you know, there's, there's a
1: little travel. These aren't, you know, this isn't a retirement community. These are elite (laughs) athletes. Like, what? like, Oh my God, this harrowing journey from Detroit to Toronto (laughs) Come on. If you
0: hear athletes complain Come on, about tra- man. athletes complain about like, travel a ton, it clearly plays a role in how Yeah, work. and that's
1: fair. If you're going from Vancouver to Toronto, that's like that sucks. Okay, you know? but I But this is Detroit. This like that's I've done that journey many times and I, I'm no elite I,
0: athlete. I agree with you that Detroit is not a team to be taken seriously. Like, like you said, the territorial stuff, like their goal differential is similar to the Leafs. A lot of it's hot shooting. A lot of it's hot goaltending that you don't expect to stand up. I don't like the scenario I outlined where somehow they and Tampa both overtake the Leafs. Like that's a fantasy scenario. They are kind of at the end in terms of the division of teams that even you could consider a factor relating to the Leafs this season. Like if we go, for, we'll go further down the vision, We can handle this how you want. Like we're looking at the Habs, the have nothing to say about any of those teams. Ottawa, like they do not affect the Leafs this year. And like this is a how does this affect the Leafs podcast? Those teams do not affect the Leafs this year. We're not talking about those teams.
1: I have nothing to say about them. They whatever. I you know, I just enjoy Buffalo being bad every year. As someone who's watched the Leafs (laughs) for over thirty years, I'll never get tired of it. Like I'll never get tired of it. Buffalo's dunked on the Leafs so many times including this year, I'll never get tired of Buffalo being terrible. At no point have I felt sorry for them. At no point have I sat there and been like, oh, like I wish Buffalo was good again. You know, like they've had a really tough run. I be like all all day. So whatever, that's all I have to say about any of those three teams combined. But just getting back to Detroit, they just had January where they went nine, two, and two. Like they were lights out in terms of of collecting points. And again, like that falls in that Tampa territory to me where... It's like their record is a little bit cooked right now. Like the books are cooked because they just went on on a hot streak. And again, the Leafs are very middling right now, where they win a couple, lose a couple, winning a little bit more than they're losing, but just kind of humming along kind of thing. I just I just find it unlikely that the Leafs don't go on a a, a winning streak at some point. The Leafs are like 15th and five on five shooting percentage. And like, you know, we're talking about Tyler Bertuzzi not finishing chances. We're seeing guys miss chances all the time even Matthews was missing. Like he obviously got the power play goal, but he was missing five on five chances. Like they, they missed a ton in both of those games. Like they, you know, they easily could have had 12, 13 goals between those two games, maybe even 15. And at some point the pucks are going to go in. I just, I find it hard to believe that the pucks are not going to go in at any point. Like there's still so much time left in the season. These things kind of, you know, correct themselves is, Is Tyler Bertuzzi about to have a ten goal season? Is Max Domi about to have a seven goal season? Maybe I don't, but you know, I like to think that the Leafs go on a hot streak, and I think once they do, it will essentially separate them from Tampa and Detroit, and we'll be left looking at Florida and Boston. And you know, as much as Florida is the unenviable, that's not the team that you want to play. If I was going to play Florida, I would want to play them in the first round. I don't want to play Florida two rounds in when my team's already banged up. And then Sam Bennett's coming in, guns blazing, running guys. I want to play them in the first round while everybody's healthy. You know, on both sides. And that physical wear and tear is not extrapolated a month and a half later playing this team that just goes, you know, bear hunting all the time. So I'd rather play them in the first round if I was going to play them at all. I mean, I'd rather avoid them altogether. But if yeah, I was I, I'd play rather them,
0: not play them in the first round and then hope that someone else deals with them like i'd rather let someone else do the dirty work and i'm not saying that that's necessarily going to be effective but i'd I'd rather roll the dice on that than have to face them in the first round which again like i I don't know exactly how the odds play out on it but you know it's not quite last year where you felt like almost sure it was lightning leaps forever but this year has felt a little which yeah i mean there is a fun aspect of that and, but this year, it does feel like at this point, they're kind of on a collision course with the Panthers. But I could envision a scenario where Boston cools off a little bit and the Panthers get hot at some point. Like that could happen too. But I think it's probably going to be the Panthers. And if people are doing any kind of, you know, to talk about sort the theme of this episode is, you know, what to watch for in the rest of the division. Like I think really, if you're a Leafs fan, what you're watching for is. Is there an improbable Boston Florida flip? And then, B, are like, forget Detroit to be honest. Like, are the lightning doing something spectacular? Like, those are kind of the two things to watch for. And I think both of those things are fairly unlikely. And so, at the end of the day, you probably don't really have to worry about those outside factors that much if your focus is the Leafs, because I think the Leafs kind of have a fairly decent control of their own destiny in terms of the context of where they sit in the standings.
1: I wouldn't even say fairly decent. The Leafs have full control over their spot in the state. Like they're, yeah. they're comfortably ahead of Tampa and Detroit in terms of points, percent, points percentage and, uh, you know, playing with their games in hand and they're already ahead of both in the standings and Tampa just lost Sergachev, and, you know, Detroit is basically banking on being one of the highest scoring teams uh, percentage-wise in the league and a hot power play and nothing else. I mean, Godspeed to them. So really, like it, it's all in the Leafs' control. Like I keep going back to it. I think they're one hot streak away from like firmly separating themselves from Tampa and Detroit. I had kind of hoped for them that it would be in this two-week stint right now because they had five out of six at home and it was really six out of six at home considering the one road game is, is Ottawa, which is a home game. And, you know, they started it off by not collecting a point in that Islanders game, which was disappointing. They won against Dallas. We'll see. They have Ottawa next. And, and then St. Louis after that, these are, these are very winnable games to me. They have a very winnable road trip coming up where they're playing in Arizona. They're playing in St. Louis. Like, it's very much on the table for them to kind of separate themselves and firmly put the ball back in, in tree livings court to say like, we're making the playoffs. Like what are you doing to make us better
0: now? And that's, I mean, that's really going to be the dominant storyline from now until the trade deadline is, are the Leafs able to go on a run that, that changes the mindset about what they're going to do from a transaction standpoint? So we're going to leave it right about there for you guys this week. We appreciate everyone listening in. We'll be back with you again next week. As always, we appreciate any reviews and ratings you leave and just telling people about the podcast so we can keep growing it. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. If I know what I see, do you as a the-